How's it hanging, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Reasonably Outrageous. This is hitting you on Thursday, August 15th. We are recording the afternoon of August 14th. And Matt Wyrick, let me tell you, man, I'm feeling like a caveman. Oh, God. What happened? So, we are getting ready to record the episode. And then I realized uh, my AirPods that I use for these calls uh, were dead. And so... uh, Problem. I do have wired headphones, but the problem is the new iPhones that they have, uh, you need the converter for the wired the headphones. Dongle. Yeah, the dongle. Uh, <laughs> that is quite a word. It really uh, but that's is. exactly what it is. It's a dongle, and the only one I had was in my car. So you got to leave the apartment, go to the car, come back in, plug everything in, and then realize my phone is going to die. So... You know, long day of work, I guess my phone was dead, my AirPods were dead, so then I had to switch over to my iPad and plug that in, and now we are FaceTime audio chatting through my iPad, but we made it, we survived, I've got wired headphones on, this is the the biggest first world problem I feel like I've ever felt in my life, just a constant struggle to get here, but we got here. Gosh, the, the cord, the big screen, dude, I don't know oh. how you're dealing it's killing me. I just want everything in the palm of my hand and, and no cords, man. I'm done with these wires. I'm ready to rip it out of the uh, the, the, the headphones right now. <laughs> well, I actually, I too use AirPods for most of the episodes, but I used wireless headphones for our last episode uh, because mm. I, I don't know if this is bad or not, um, but I use one ear, ear AirPod while I drive. I keep my right one in. Uh. Um, yeah, I feel like and, that's all right. But only to listen to podcasts. I don't listen to music. I'm not blasting it in my ear. But, you know, it's, it's like being on the phone. That's how I see it. So Yeah, my it's like those, right... those douchebags in the early 2000s that came out with their Bluetooths. Exactly, exactly. I'm just one of the douchebags. And exactly. And it makes perfect sense. Um, but that yeah. right AirPod was dead uh, when we did the show <laughs> uh... last time. So I could have done it with just my left, but I felt like that'd be weird. So I do have – I actually have the new headphones because uh, I got the XR like two months ago and it came with them. So – I actually have the night the headphones that work for my phone and was able to just plug it right in, so I didn't really have as many issues. But I, I feel your pain, Blake. The cord, it's, it's it's not great. Yeah, it's a struggle, but we're gonna we're gonna survive. I think we're gonna make it. And uh, you know who it might not make it. And this is uh, my I'm pointing out that I'm trying to use transitions now. So transition nice. king, transition king, Blake Pace. Transition uh, king, Blake Pace. <laughs> trademark. We we don't know. If Andrew Luck is going to be available by the start of this NFL season, that's where we're going to hit off first. Um, Andrew Luck has been sitting out of uh, most of the offseason uh, uh, camps, starting with OTAs. He was missing with a calf injury that was kind of lingering through the preseason. Um, he missed you know, all of training camp, sat out the first preseason game, and then news broke that it is turning itself into an ankle issue. There was concern that maybe it would develop into an Achilles problem, kind of like what we saw with Kevin Durant uh, in this past NBA Finals and how that kind of all turned out for him. So they were they were not going to, to run Andrew Luck onto the field at all. Um, and then, interesting enough, he started coming out the last few days at the end of practice, you know, wearing the red jersey. He was doing some light work, and then the issues came out. Uh, he's dealing with... 
uh, pain right below his calf, and an injury to the posterior ankle. Uh, Chris Ballard came out and said that he thinks that it wasn't just one single cause of the injury to quarterback Andrew Luck, but, quote, I think it's a cumulative thing through the years. Andrew's had some ankle issues with his left one for a while, and I think it's just a cumulative thing. Uh, Of course, Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts are... Uh, not shy to injuries in his career. He has missed extended amount of time, um, including all of the uh, 2017 season. Came back last year, finishing the top three in MVP voting. All his shoulder issues seem to be a problem, but now we're heading to this upcoming season. There was a lot of hype around the Colts, the way they finished out last season, uh, ending the regular season on a 10-1 and run. Uh, now they've got concerns about their quarterback, and, and it just seems to be one of those things, man, that Andrew Luck and injuries, he can't escape them. Yeah, I mean, you almost got to think that the Colts need to be taking the the Saints approach where they invest heavily in a backup quarterback um, like Teddy Bridgewater, uh, where they're paying him, I believe it's $7 million this year, the Saints are, um, mm-hmm. just in case Breeze goes down. I mean, and Breeze has been, you know, very healthy throughout his career, um, but getting up there in age, they thought, okay, this, you know, we have a Super Bowl caliber team. We lose our quarterback, though, that's basically a big blow to the knee, so why not invest in somebody who can step in? To the Colts' credit, they have Jacoby Brissett, who has started uh, in several games uh, in his career. He's he's been serviceable, certainly, uh, in Luck's absence. Obviously, Luck missed all of 2017. Uh, Brissett filled in um, reasonably in in what you'd expect out of a backup quarterback. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't say he's at necessarily Teddy Bridgewater's level, although we haven't seen Bridgewater play multiple games uh, in several years now, so who really knows what Teddy's level is. Um, But, you know, at least they have Brissett, which it's looking like they might have to roll out the first game or two with him Mm -hmm. um, if needed, which uh, I'm not sure. I don't have the Colts schedule in front of me, but, um, you know, I want to ask you this, Blake. Can you count on, I mean, how many more? He's got a couple more years left on his deal. Can you count on Luck being healthy for a full 16 games moving forward every season? Um, man, you know, can you can you count on it and and put you know invest, you know, if if you if I was a gambling man and I'd have to bet on it to say that he can go, uh, you know, four or five seasons and play all 16 games, I don't think that that could be the cause. It just seems to to be lingering injuries. He does have a frail body, mm-hmm. um, and and, it, and it's really unfortunate because. You know, people considered him coming out of the draft back in 2012. They considered him to be uh, a generational talent. They thought that he was going to be the next big quarterback uh, for Indianapolis, of course, replacing Peyton Manning at the time. And there was a lot of hype that this man could could go down as one of the all time greats, to just basic based off of his his talent level, his IQ, uh, the the success he had at Stanford, and, and yet you know. He's just been riddled with injuries um, through this point in his career. Uh, I'm trying to think how old he is at this point. He's age at 29. Yeah. Oh, it's his age 30 season, yeah. So he's heading in there, and we take a look at it. He he did you know begin his first three seasons starting in all 16 games. And then, uh, it, of course, in 2015, uh, just played in seven. But then 2016, played in 15, missed all of 2017, like we were saying, and played all 16 starts. So when he is healthy... Uh, it doesn't seem to, that he that he has any lingering problems when it comes to the regular season. Uh, it's this off-season uh, injuries that pop up, and next thing you know, uh, maybe the you know the Colts have been quiet about it, and then he all of a sudden gets shut down. Um, you know, the biggest thing is is I think the Colts are trying to be as patient as they can with him, which is the best way to go about it. 
Um, you know, they were patient and sat him out all of the 2017 season. He came back in great form for 2018. And I think they're just doing the patient approach. They were trying to really hold him out of as much as they could in the preseason. And when it's an ankle and you're, you know, it's not like a shoulder where you stop throwing the football and hopefully everything will generate back fine. If you take him off the football field, he's still going to walk around throughout the day. He's going to be putting uh, pressure on the lower part of his body. So, you know, one of those injuries, it's just you can't have him just sit on a couch all day and expect to stay in, in football shape by the time the season comes. And so it's turned to one of those situations where they tried ramping up uh, his activity, um, you know, maybe to make sure he was feeling good by week one. But now we've reached a problem where I think, I think worst case scenario, he misses the first two weeks um, of the regular season. And I pulled up the, the Colts schedule. They do start off uh, with the Chargers in Los Angeles, a very tough, uh, you know, the Chargers Oof. are considered one of the best overall rosters, top to bottom in the league. Uh, and then they do uh, play in Tennessee, which I was very excited about going to watch. Uh, just five minutes from my apartment. If Andrew Luck isn't uh, under center, that's going to be pretty upsetting uh, for me to watch. But after that, it does pick up. You, you do have to play the Falcons, uh, which is a very tough team. We're going to talk about them later in this episode. Um, and then, you know, their first game in October is against the Chiefs. You would think. As long as they hold him out for the rest of the preseason, which was the plan all along, and say he has to miss those first two weeks, I think that that's plenty of time to get him back in in the right shape for the regular season. Uh, but to answer your question, God, you know, just just with the the fact that it's different parts of the body, that's what's concerning to me. Um, you know, if it was all just upper body injuries, if it was all shoulder injuries, I mean, of course that's different. We'd still have our concerns with consistent shoulder problems, uh, you know, out of the quarterback position. But when it's starting to hit you at all different parts of your body, uh, it's one of those things where maybe he's just not built uh, to to have that long of a career, which is really unfortunate given the talent that he, you know, and the potential that he has uh, as a quarterback. Yeah, it's going to be hard to see him extending his career into his 40s like we've seen uh, a couple of the oh, generational yeah. quarterbacks who've come before him do, uh, just given his injury history. Although, you know, you look at a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, who's dealt with so many mm-hmm. injuries in his time. Brett Favre also uh, had a lot of injury issues throughout his career, especially toward the end, and he kept going through it. So uh, at the quarterback position, you are a little bit protected, and the offensive line in India- Indianapolis is pretty good. The, he led the league last year, 2.7 sack percentage. Um, that was the best among oh, yeah. NFL quarter qualified NFL quarterbacks. So you think that he's going to have good protection, which you know for a team with an injury prone quarterback, they made the smart moves. You, you got to give the, the front office in Indianapolis a lot of credit. Um, they've worked around Luck's injury to pr- surround him with viable resources and, and a good, I guess, a good system that supports his skill set and also his downfalls. Um, you know, in between Jacoby Brissett as the backup and the offensive line um, mm-hmm. and the, the young running core that you now have for him. Uh, I'm I'm not really worried about the Colts in terms of this season. I, uh, I'm not going to spoil my uh, AFC South uh, <laughs> predictions, which will be next episode. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sure you're excited about that. But, Very excited. Um, you know, I, I definitely think the Colts are going to be in the playoff mix, and I don't see no two games without Andrew Luck stopping them from making the playoffs. Yeah, especially if it's the fact of just making sure that he can play those final 14 regular season games at full health. Uh, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's one of those situations where maybe he thinks that he's ready to come out week one, um, I get it's a big game, a great way to start your season 1-0. and You always got to go 1-0 and as, as coach speak uh, as you can get. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too worried. Uh, you know, if this turns into one of those situations like the shoulder where, you know, 
Chris Ballard loves to be very quiet about things. He doesn't like, uh, you know, the media getting a hold of stories. And so, you know, there was for a while we thought Andrew Luck was going to play in the 2017 season, and it maybe was a month into the regular season that they said they were going to shut him down for the entire year. Um, so unless they're they're leading us on to believe that that this is um, is like a situation like that in 2017, I think he should be fine. I think the Colts should be fine too. You talk about the roster, that offensive line. Got it. it. You know, last year must have been amazing for Andrew Luck to to finally be standing upright for the majority of the time because the offensive lines, you know, were the cause of all those injuries that he had. You talk about, you know, a um, uh, you know, the the shoulder tears, all the injuries he had through that part, and the beatings that he took. Uh, and yeah, at quarterback, you know, Jacoby Brissett isn't isn't a you know a starting caliber quarterback in my books. People had thought there might be trade value for a team to go out there and try and make him their starting quarterback, but he's a very serviceable backup quarterback. Uh, but let me tell you, there's another guy that uh, has looked pretty impressive in Colts camp, and maybe Jacoby Brissett gets hurt, and he's not in a situation where he can, uh, maybe he doesn't do too well in the preseason. Uh, watch out for Swag Kelly. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Um, uh, yeah. Um, God, why can't... It's, uh, Chad Kelly. Chad uh, Kelly, the man. The man, he uh, he had a pretty impressive first game in the preseason uh, for the Colts uh, this past year, um, or for this past week, sorry, I got a little clustered, my phone started going off. Um, but yeah, I, I think between the two of them, serviceable, I, I have no worries about the Titans. I mean, the Titans haven't even beaten Andrew Luck when he's under center, so maybe this is their one chance they'll be able to beat him uh, if he's not out there week two, but I really do think that, you know, for this season, I agree with you not to be too worried, but I, you know, God, if he can't get, you know, three seasons in a row uh, with with playing all sixteen games, it is going to seem like one of those careers that maybe has to end in his mid to late thirties. Yeah, I mean, I was actually tweeting about this earlier today with Max Scherzer, and he's been on the injured list. He oh. made one start in the past six weeks. Don't um, get me started. <laughs> when I, oh, I know, you in fantasy, which he might be back this weekend, by the way, which, of I'd course, love it. we're facing off this week in a very highly contested in, yeah. matchup. Um, final, uh, final, final week of the regular final season. Week of regular us. season, man. We, the stretch Dude. run is almost over. I know. Um, but, you know, I was talking about this with Scherzer. Uh, he's been Mr. Durability almost his entire career. Prior to this season, he has made 30 starts and pitched 200 innings every year since 2009. That was the second longest Ooh. streak in baseball. Blake, can you guess who has the longest? It's one year longer. Randy Johnson. It's a- active streak, sorry. Oh, active streak. Um, 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 is it Felix Hernandez? Felix, he's not even, he's in the bullpen. What do you mean? John Lester, bro. Oh, also the oh, Nats John just went back to back. I'm watching the Nats game right now, and Trevor Bauer's pitching, and it's suddenly seven to one. At Anthony Rendon, Adam Eaton just went back to back. Anyway, you expect me to know that that Felix Hernandez is in the bullpen? <laughs> well, he's been terrible for like three years. I didn't know that. I just know he's been around for a while, so I was assuming he was still, you know, pitching. he has been around for a while. And he's former he's great. Old... Yeah, but not so much anymore. But. <laughs> Scherzer has been uh, the model of consistency uh, in terms of his health, but obviously this year has had some back and shoulder issues. Um, but I was looking – oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm eating a sandwich, and it just, just went down <laughs> my throat really poorly. Um, Jesus. He, <laughs> I hate you. Scherzer, uh, you know, in, his career, in the past three years, has really struggled in September. 
finishing with ERAs in the upper threes, low fours, uh, not really characteristic of him. And, you know, two of those seasons he won Cy Young. Uh, so he was, that just shows you how good he was for those months leading up to that, that September where he didn't finish strong. Now, with the six weeks that he basically had off, you know, obviously throwing some bullpens here and there, trying to stay loose, he will have had, you know, not as much innings on him this year. And going to the playoffs, we might be seeing a mm-hmm. fully dialed up uh, Max Scherzer, which I'm really excited about. So, uh, you know, obviously it hurts because he's not in the Cy Young conversation. Probably not. Uh, he still could if he finishes really strong. Hyunjin Ryu's on the IL right now, so he's not exactly making a case for himself either. But, you know... That that's something to, to you know hang your hat on at least is that you might be having a fully healthy, fully rested Max Scherzer in the playoffs. Same could be said right. for Andrew Luck, looping it all the way back around to my point that I oh, seemingly yeah. made ten minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> Luck, you know, getting a, a late start to the season might not be the worst thing in the world in terms of keeping him healthy. Um, you know, he can't injure himself uh, in those two games that he's playing. So if if you can keep him healthy toward the end of the season. Um, you get a fully healthy Andrew Luck that's huge for the Colts in the playoffs. Yeah, certainly. And that played a huge role in how, you know, sitting out the entire 2017 impacted his health and durability heading into 2018. So the gentle approach is definitely uh, is definitely the way to go. And uh, I'm going to transition this because you were talking about your Twitter, and I wanted to uh, bring up something that, that you put out uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, you were talking with a Phillies fan. I'm assuming it's one of our one of the our common friends was it Kevin or uh, who are you talking to Gio Gio You're talking Morabelle. to Gio yes yeah so Gio uh, you asked him uh, was 13 years 333 million worth it for Bryce Harper uh, his response was too soon to tell you followed up with how many top 5 MB- MVP finishes will he have in Philly Gio said two and then Matt you posed the question to the Twitter world how many does he need to make the contract worth it uh, you know, zero was an option with the marketing ploy just being worth it. One to two was another option. Uh, three to five, and then six plus. And three to five was the overwhelming uh, winner. Sixty-nine percent said that to make Bryce Harper's contract worth it, he would need on average he would need four essentially uh, four top five MVP finishes. And let me tell you what. Uh, one year down, and he is not going to get that top five MVP finish. <laughs> Bryce Harper is currently batting 248 uh, through 118 games, has 100 hits, uh, 30 uh, extra base hits, or sorry, 30 doubles. He's got 22 homers on the season, 80 RBIs, six stolen bases. Uh, an underwhelming season in his first year of a massive contract. Uh, you know, we raved about how crazy it was that they doled out that kind of cash to Bryce Harper for as long as it was going through until I believe he's the age of 38. Uh, He'll be a a 39-year-old free agent by the time this deal is up. Um, And Matt, I wanted to hear your opinion because you asked the Twitter world and and got their uh, their answer, and I want to know what you're thinking about. What is it going to take uh, to make this Bryce Harper contract worth it? You know, I I think... Obviously, you're paying him to be the star player on your team. You know, paying somebody a 13-year, $330 million contract is a statement. It's saying, we are looking to you to lead our offense to be the guy in our franchise. But 
the reality of that is that doesn't always happen. You know, there are going to be seasons when that player who signed to a master contract isn't necessarily the top guy. I mean, we see it in pitching all the time uh, where a starter gets a huge deal, but then when they get that team gets to the playoffs, that starter might not be starting game one because somebody else stepped up, had a better year, or, you know, he got hurt or whatever it was. Um, they might not always necessarily be the guy. And Harper, obviously, 837 OPS, which is second lowest for a full season, third lowest, I guess, for a full season uh, in his career, lowest since mm-hmm. 2016, which was the year that followed his MVP season, and everybody called it a, the, one of the most disappointing seasons ever uh, after he had such a big regression uh, from that 2015 year. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're paying him to be the guy, but I don't think it's necessarily reasonable to expect him to do that every year. Uh, sure. It's the first year, uh, with the contract, you want him to do well, make a statement, show, show the baseball world that he's going to be that guy, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future that they made a good investment. I mean, there's a lot of pressure, you know, to, to prove that right, to prove, uh, you know, yourself, right. To prove the the contract worth it, all that kind of stuff, because a lot of people are going to make judgments based on this first season. It's a long contract. There's certainly going to be plenty of time for him to recoup that value, um, mm-hmm. and I don't expect him to try and do it all in one year. You know, we excuse me. We talked last year about how Harper struggled. Uh, you know, he hit 249. He's hitting 248 this year, 889 OPS, which is better than uh, he's been hitting this year. Certainly, um, racked up a lot of walks. He actually led all of baseball with 130 uh, last year. That really helped him in his value, 393 on base percentage. But it was an underwhelming season by Harper's standards. It was, we were you know, kind of hoping for a little bit more. And a lot of people said, well, there's a lot of pressure in his walk year uh, trying to justify getting over $300 million, uh, trying to justify uh, the Nats deciding whether or not to retain him, all that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Then he gets a new deal, and now he's got a different kind of pressure, uh, but still a lot of pressure to perform. So I think you know, once we get into year two, year three, if we start seeing you know, these kinds of numbers, then I think it's cause for concern. Um, but right now, you know, I don't think that necessarily he needs to be finishing top five. Um, that being said, that there, the other aspect of this contract was the fact that they were signing him to mark a transition. I equated actually uh, to one of Bryce Harper's mentors, Jason Wirth, when he was signed back in 2011, the Nats signaled to the rest of the baseball world, okay, we're ready to compete. And they had one 2011 mm-hmm. season in which they finished uh, right around 500. And after that, they haven't finished below 500 since. Uh, that's when Harper came up, Strasburg returned from Tommy John surgery, and the rest is history. Uh, the Nats obviously became one of the top contenders in the National League. Never able to get over that playoff hump, I have to say it, I know. Um, but, you know, still, as far as regular season wins go, I believe the Nats are third in all of baseball since that point, only behind the Dodgers and the Cardinals. They might even be ahead of the Cardinals now. Um, not sure. But, you know, point stands. The Nats were one of the better teams in baseball from that point. And that's what the Phillies are kind of hoping Harper can be. You know, he's the big-name star. He comes in. He makes Philly relevant again. And, you know, you, the hope is that you can use him to attract more free agents to come, uh, more lucrative contracts, um, where players will say, okay, Philly is a place I want to go. It's a destination. You know, you, you look at the Dodgers, uh, and they have Clayton Kershaw as, as that top star uh, who's been around a long time. You look at uh, the Cubs and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. Those are guys that you want to go and play with. And the Astros have Jose Altuve. You know, the, the Phillies didn't have that guy. They had an, a, a decent young core that they were hoping would succeed, but they didn't have anybody. You know, they had Jake Arrieta, uh, but he, he's been in a decline. Uh, hasn't really been the guy. Aaron Nola still pretty young, establishing himself in the league. Neither of those guys really stood out to me necessarily as 
you know, faces of the franchise type players. Harper qualifies as that. And, you know, as soon as he signed that contract, he became the face of the franchise instantly. Uh, and he will be for the next 12 years. So, you know, as far as that goes, I think the contract will be worth it. But uh, in terms of attracting free agents, but, you know, he, he does need to get a couple of top five uh MVP finishes. I think only two in his yeah. tenure to really justify it. Uh, I wasn't going to go into that three to five range uh, that that won the poll, but you know, for me, it, it's because of the marketing, because of uh, the pedigree that comes with signing a guy like Harper. Obviously, you know, you get a Chris Davis type deal, then that becomes a huge issue. Uh, but even if he's just a slightly above average player, I mean, his OPS plus is one fourteen, which means he's fourteen percent better than the average player. Say he he has. A, average in Philly of an OPS plus of 120, 20% better than the average player. Sure, that's that's pl- by pure playing uh, reasons, definitely not worth the money that you're paying him, but you know, Harper adds another element to the the flair, uh, the pedigree that I think, you know, you can't really match in his numbers um, and so I would go with two MVP top 5 MVP finishes. Not saying that's what he will do, just that what I think he needs to do to justify his contract. Yeah, I mean, you talk the marketing point exactly. He was so such a popular name in baseball. He was plastered all over the uh, All Star banners without even being a selection uh, this past season. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, a lot of people just associate him with baseball. Yeah, there are, I can tell. Oh, I, mean, I there are people I know yep. who don't know a single baseball player out of Bryce Harper. Yeah, we've had this conversation too, I believe, with our good friend Tom about who is more popular, Bryce Harper or. Uh, that was was it Ovi? Ovi, yeah. And I, I just, I think it's one of those things where he, I would agree, Harper just, if you know a player in baseball, it's most likely going to be Bryce Harper. Um, now, of course, where I come from, you at least know Aaron Judge because New Yorkers absolutely mm-hmm. love him, but um, he's definitely one of the most popular names. And uh, to be honest, I was one of the, the people that did vote on that poll, and I did go with the three to five range. Uh, you know, I don't think he needs to have five. Um, if I would be comfortable putting him right at three or four. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, t- I also had to take that into context after I placed my vote because even through this point of the season, as good as his career has been, he's only had one MVP finish inside the top five voting, and that was back in 2015 uh, when mm-hmm. he won it. Um, so, you know, he finished uh, 12th in 2017. Um, of course, this was the first season he missed the All-Star game since uh, 2014 when he was 21. Uh, the fact that we talk about Bryce Harper, man, he was an all-star and finished in the top 30 of MVP vote-getters as a 19-year-old in 2012. Like, that's just incredible. Um, so, you know, I feel like, you know, if the problem, too, is that the expectations were set at such a high standard at such a young age. Um, you know, if you told me at 19 years old what I was expected to be, I'd probably already underwhelmed you at this point. Um, and I'm just two years removed from that. So the expectations were extremely high. Um, I, you know... I guess top five MVP finish, I guess I would say I, I could understand two or three being worth it. I did go in that three to five range, but I, I, I definitely could see myself being okay with more on the bottom end. It also depends what, what it translates to in the wins because, of course, you're paying all this money and you're doling it out for such a long time. You would hope that sometime between now and 2031, you could get some strong postseason runs from the Phillies. Um, of course, this season doesn't seem to be like the best start for them. They did deal with a couple injuries, uh, you know, throughout the roster. Uh, now seems like Arietta might be shut down uh, for the rest of the season uh, to be determined uh, what happens there. 
But um, yeah, it's just one of those things. I, I agree with you. It, the marketing ploy about that just making Philadelphia that you know that popular figure. Like now, but you know, we're gonna say seven years from now, or I don't know how many years do you think it would take until fans start associating Bryce Harper as a Philly opposed to a Nat? Is it already happening, or do we need a couple more seasons out of it? I think it's already happening. I mean, yeah. honestly, throughout his entire Nats tenure, all anyone talked about was where's Harper going to sign agency. when he's a free agent. You know, yeah. it was never no one ever seemed to think that he was going to stay in DC. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, except for Nats fans. I think they were really the right. only group of people who you know. I mean, you would just you would look at tweets. Uh, I remember back in like 2014, right? This is before mm-hmm. he even won an MVP. Still four or five years away from free agency at that point. I mean, six years from free agency at that point. Um, and you would just, like, look at MLB would tweet about something random, and uh, it would mention Harper, and all the replies would just say, future Yankee, future Yankee, future yeah. Yankee. I mean, it was just every time. And a lot of people did think that he was going to be in pinstripes, obviously mm-hmm. different shade of pinstripes than we thought. Yeah. Um, but certainly the market that uh, – cool. one of the markets that kind of supports his figure, I think Philly, in terms of being a sports town, is one of the biggest – sports markets in you know all of professional athletics so uh i i I already associate him as a philly and i'm you know obviously uh, been rooting for the Mm -hmm. nets since uh, they came to dc so i feel like if i can look at him as a philly then so can basically you know the rest of baseball right yeah so then i guess if we're already associating it's already begun uh, you know the right start in the marketing point and just hopefully what you need is is you know him kind of working towards back to the seasons, uh, the prime seasons that we saw with him in Washington, and then hoping that that translate to wins in Philadelphia. Are there any other uh, subjects around Bryce that we want to talk about? Uh, he leads the National League in strikeouts, yep. uh, which is certainly saw that. a troubling figure. Um, you know, this hasn't been the year that he was hoping for, uh, and this hasn't been the year that the Phillies are hoping for, really. They're bringing in mm-hmm. Charlie Manuel. Uh, who was, mind you, born in 1944, their former Ooh. manager, uh, who won the World Series with them back in 2011, uh, one of their most winningest managers of all time. He's going to be their hitting coach now. Um, not sure if that's really going to provide a spark, but the, that's what the Phillies are hoping for. They obviously have had quite a few injuries this year and uh, several players who uh, just haven't lived up to expectations. We were looking at, we thought we were going to get bigger years out of guys like Reese Hoskins and JT Real Muto. They haven't really lived up to expectations as well. Obviously, Harper is the you know face of those struggles uh, in a lot of ways. But you know, I, I I'm I'm expecting Harper to you know return to his peak. Maybe not ever have a season as good as that 2015 season because honestly, that year was it was Barry Bonds level. You know, steroid mm-hmm. era Barry mm-hmm. Bonds type production. Uh, what he did and. Uh, the numbers suggested that he was going to regress uh, in a lot of ways. Now, we probably didn't expect him to regress as much as he did. Uh, went from a 198 OPS plus to 114. Yeah. Uh, that's a massive drop-off from one year to the next. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the, the biggest drop-off in a two-year span ever. But, you know, we're I expect him to return to somewhat those levels, like 2017, 156 OPS plus. He was on his way to winning MVP uh, that year before twisting his ankle on a wet bag. Uh, and, or getting a bone bruise in his knee, I think it was. Uh, a wet first base. I was livid. Um, I remember that moment happening. I collapsed to the floor uh, oh. at the time. <laughs> um, they still ended up making the playoffs that year, thank God, and he was playing for him. But, you know, we thought that he, uh, like, tore something in his knee and was out for the year, and it was right. uh, one of the scariest, like, 
I guess, 24 hours until we got the full diagnosis um, that I've had as a sports fan. So, um, you know, uh, as long as he can stay healthy, which is definitely a big if, he's had some injury struggles in his career, uh, certainly got off to a rough start in 2013, 2014, had those injuries, then again, 2017, has been able to stay healthy this year, but we will see, you know, how long uh, he's able to stay on the field. And I do think he returns to those levels. I think he gets at least two top five MVP finishes. You know, theoretically, he's in his prime now. He wasn't in his prime before. It starts yeah. around age 25, 26, goes until you're about 32. Um, so we're, you know, expecting him over the next six years to basically earn uh, his contract over the next 12. Uh, so we'll see if he can, you know, live up to that hype. Yeah, that's another part of it. You know, we were saying how many does he need for the contract to be worth it and then translating it into how many do we actually think will happen. I definitely think that that two to three is definitely attainable. Uh, You know, just with how gifted of an athlete he is, we're going to just have to see for next year because it's definitely not happening this season. No, sir. All right. Well, let's switch it back to the football field. Uh, We are going to continue on with the third uh, edition of our NFL Divisional Previews. Uh, Make sure to head back to our last two episodes. Uh, Our ones that we did last week were the, or sorry, the ones that we started last week was the uh, NFC North. This past Tuesday, we released uh, the AFC North, and now we're going to head down south to the NFC South. Uh, Very talented programs in there. A lot of, um, you know, we've got a team with a head coaching change. We've got a team returning to full health. We've got a team uh, that should have been in the Super Bowl. Uh, Sorry, Matt, had to bring it up. Um, and here we are. So, so basically what we're doing with these, just to, to recap again, what we do is we'll dive into the teams. We'll go from the order of who finished last in the division last year, work our way up to the first, talk about some key topics, and then put out some record predictions, and if we think they're going to make the playoffs or not. And so we are going to start down in Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers last season finished 5-11 and with a terrible 1-7 uh, record on the road, finished their season on a four-game losing streak. Bruce Arians is now uh, you know, running the ship there. Jameis Winston got a big season ahead, a uh, big year ahead for the Buccaneers in general to figure out the future of their franchise. Matt, what sticks out to you the most about the Bucs this season? I mean, it's got to be a big man on campus, Jameis Winston. You know, mm-hmm. famous Jameis hasn't necessarily had the career that we were expecting out of him, you know, being a top draft pick, former Heisman winner. Um, certainly has had his struggles both on and off the field. Now is in for a big season this year. This is his option year. Uh, he could be a free agent by season's end. I don't expect him to be franchise tagged unless he somehow becomes the player that we thought he would be uh, and puts together a fantastic season. But, you know, last year, 19 touchdowns only four, and 14 interceptions, only played uh, 11 games after being benched a couple times, having going back and forth uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ended up in his starts only 3-6 and six on the year uh, in terms of his quarterback record. So, you know, he's going to need to turn things around, certainly for his career. Uh, he's in his age 25 season, so you're expecting him to have figured out the NFL by now uh, and really come into his own. That hasn't been the case. And, you know, I, I fully expect the Bucks to be in search of a quarterback after this season. Uh, whether that be through the draft or in free agency, there's certainly going to be a couple of quarterbacks who uh, might be worth their look. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is one uh, who will be a free agent next year, um, as will Case Keenum. I could easily see Tampa going one of those either directions, but they bring in a new head coach. They hope Bruce Arians, who is considered an offensive guru, can help uh, turn his career around, but they're running out of time, and he's going to need to step up right away if the Bucks are going to have any chance of competing in this tough NFC South. 
Yeah, this is certainly the final straw for Jameis, and and where I'm going to look at first is uh, the people around Winston. Uh, this run game, they they've got to figure something out with the run offense to give a little, um, to make the offense a little bit more balanced. To uh, you know, make it easier for guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, OJ Howard to get open. Uh, so you know, hopefully, if they could get the run game established, they'd be able to. Uh, you know, defenses would feel the need to at least put more emphasis on stopping the run, which would open up more opportunities for Winston uh, and his receivers. I mean, you look at, you know, their run success rate. Uh, all were all except third down were below league average, and running on second down, they just uh, had a success rate of. 34%, only 3.5 yards per carry on second down. Uh, first down was also below average, only rushing the ball for 3.9 yards a carry on first down, a success rate of 47%. Um, right now they've got Ronald Jones in. Uh, they, they've got some uh, – they didn't add anybody uh, in the draft in terms of the position. They didn't add anyone in free agency. Uh, but the run offense seems to me to be the big fix – in the offense, I understand Winston uh, needs to get his shit together, but Arians, I feel very comfortable with him at least trying to get the best out of Jameis if it's there. But the real problem to me is how is this offensive line going to perform? Uh, because they were definitely not a great unit by any means last season. And then how is the running back committee going to step up to put the passing offense in comfortable situations? On the defensive side, I think the loss of Gerald McCoy was perceived to be a major hole, but then they go out and get Ndamukong Sue, yeah. uh, who honestly, at their points of their careers right now, um, about the same age, Sue is a year older, but, um, you know, McCoy never really posted eye-popping numbers. I mean, you know, back in 2013, he was first team All-Pro, 50 tackles, uh, career high, nine and a half sacks, and he, he racked up sacks a few years, but being a defensive tackle, you know, that's a hard number to get in the double digits with. Um, but Sue has been uh, one of the, the premier tackles uh, certainly has had some off-the-field issues, but health has never been a problem for him. Uh, McCoy missed two games last year. Sue has ne- has not missed a game since 2011, back when he was with the Tigers in his second season. Uh, so he has been the model of health consistency throughout his career and racked up 59 combined tackles last year, uh, has hit 70 before, 60 the year before that. Um, so he's certainly been uh, a huge presence in the middle, and it's just kind of whether... You know, this is his fourth locker room uh, in his career that he is going to have to gel with. And, you know, he's obviously been considered a guy who hasn't been able to get along with a lot of players. I'm interested to see, you know, on a team that is not expected to get a lot of wins, can Sue maintain his composure uh, and and gel with a lot of the players around him? I'm not sure if that's the case, but it's definitely going to be something worth watching for the Bucks moving into this season. Yeah, certainly, and I'm going to stay right there on the defensive end. Uh, This defense has a lot of pieces that do excite me about the potential moving forward. Uh, Devin White, definitely the best linebacker available uh, in this past draft class. It was between him and Devin Bush, but I definitely think White had the edge there. Certainly going to be a huge impact, after, especially after they lost inside linebacker, uh, sorry, Quan Alexander this past year, the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, they substitute Gerald McCoy. And the Dominican Sue, as you were saying, hopefully that works out all right. They've still got, uh, you know, they drafted Vita Vea last year at nose tackle. He's a big, beefy boy right in the middle. Hopefully he can disrupt and open up some opportunities uh, for a guy like Ndamukong Sue. Uh, on the outside linebacker positions, you've got Noah Spence, Carl Nassib, Dion Buchanan on the inside, along with Devin White. Uh, and then, you know, the secondary isn't too exciting, especially safety. Uh, but Vernon Hargraves and Carlton Davis uh, at the corners is fine. This defense, I think, is going to be better than expected uh, this coming year. And, of course, 
it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt when you have uh, former head coaches getting back to their roots at the coordinator position, really trying to get themselves back into a head coaching gig. And Todd Bowles, who was let go from the Jets this past year, is serving as the defensive coordinator in Tampa Bay. I think he's a great defensive coordinator, uh, and he's definitely going to have to prove himself to try and get another head coaching opportunity. Uh, and I think he has a, a good chance to do that with this Tampa Bay defense. And finally for me, Chris Godwin is the guy that all eyes are going mm-hmm. to be on this year outside of Jameis on the offensive side. The running back position, certainly, um, the, the team is looking for somebody to step up uh, in that running game. But I think Godwin has the spotlight because you know they really do have a hole behind Evans in terms of who their second receiver is going to be. And Godwin really put together a stellar season last year, very quietly, 842 yards, 59 catches, 7 touchdowns on this season. A very good year for a guy who only started five games, appeared in all 16, but uh, you know, certainly 14.3 yards per reception is incredible uh, for a guy his age, only having been in his second year in the league. He's going to be 23 this year. Mike Evans put together an all-time season last year, 1,500 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. Um, has not necessarily been the, the best touchdown threat. I think Godwin uh, has the build to do it, 6'1", 200 pounds, um, a lot shorter than Evans. Evans is at 6'5". I think he's kind of the guy to go up and get the ball in traffic. But I like Godwin as a deep threat guy who can stretch the field. Um, you know, a former third-round pick. He's got a lot of high expectations this year, certainly in fantasy. A lot of people talking about him as a sleeper pick. Um, so much so that I think he might not even be a sleeper pick anymore. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, certainly somebody who the Bucks have high expectations for and are giving a much uh, bigger piece of the pie coming into 2019. Yeah, certainly, especially after they sent uh, Deshaun Jackson, let him go back to Philadelphia. They needed someone to step back up. He's going to be great in that slot, working the middle of the field, taking the top off the defense when they've got their outside receivers kind of working uh, shorter and more intermediate routes. Uh, Him and O.J. Howard, that's going to be quite the duo working over the middle of that defense uh, this coming year. My final topic is, is taking a look at their schedule. What I've been doing is my final uh, giveaway. And, and there are some very winnable games that they do get at home. Uh, they do get to play the Giants at home. They get to play uh, the Cardinals at home. They get to play Carolina, of course. They split those games there. They also get San Francisco at home, who is another team that's been going through a lot of reconstruction on their team. Uh, so maybe they don't have things going by going right by the start of the season. Um, you know, some easy games on the road, too. Uh, you know, Tennessee, we're not sure what they are going to be yet this year. This might be, honestly, our last chance to see Jameis uh, Winston <laughs> versus Marcus Mariota. Of course, the one and two pick back in, what, 2015, 2014? I don't know how long ago that was, but this might be the last chance we get to see them play against one another as starting quarterbacks for the teams that selected them first and second. So that'll be interesting. And nothing scares me about playing Detroit on the road uh, in week 15 of the season. So I definitely think there are some, some winnable games for the Bucks this season that can help boost uh, morale, essentially, as a team trying to you know break off of two 5-11 seasons. All right, so for our picks for the record, um, they bring in Bruce Arians, which I think is an automatic boost. Uh, Dirk Cotter never really impressed me, uh, either as a head coach or as an offensive coordinator. I mean, he was offensive coordinator in Atlanta before uh, Kyle Shanahan came in and we saw what he did with Matt Ryan and that kind of shows what Matt Ryan wasn't doing with Cotter before that Um, so that kind of showed what the issues were for him he he was never able to get Jameis to succeed in the way that the front office might have hoped they bring in Arians I think they get one more win uh, Hmm. than they did last year I'm going with six and ten on the season but really 
I'm not expecting you know them to, to push that envelope very much. I think that's honestly high for them uh, in terms of where they uh, could finish. I could easily see them slipping and becoming a two and fourteen, three and thirteen type team. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to go give Bruce Arians the benefit of the doubt. He gets them an extra win. They go six and ten on the year. Yeah, the the Bruce Arians, uh, you know. Impact on Jameis Winston and adding in the the fact that I do think their defense is sneaky decent. Um, I'm gonna still I, I agree with you. I say six and ten. Um, wouldn't be so surprised maybe with a, you know a competitive division game. Maybe they get up to seven and nine. I do think they've made upgrades, so they are moving in the right direction. Now the final puzzle piece is to see if Jameis Winston is their guy. Uh, you know who does have their guy? That is the Carolina Panthers. They've got Cam Newton under center, supposedly going through a new throwing motion that he's going to debut this late in his career. Uh, the mm. Panthers finished at 7-9 and nine this past season, um, missing the postseason after, uh, I believe, God, when, when, how long ago were they in the Super Bowl, man? That was quite some 2015, time ago. 2015, that's when uh, Cam Newton won MVP. Right, okay, so yeah, Cam Newton... Uh, MVP back then, uh, he's had his his problems, his up and downs, he's dealt with injuries, and of course now trying a new throwing motion to see if he can uh, build off of what was a a better season in terms of accuracy last year. He was a very, uh, his his career averages was, was closer to the 60% heading into this, you know, this past season, completed about 68% of his passes this past year, so so I'm, I'm not sure what the new throwing motion is going to do in terms of that, but you know, they're a team that's trying to get back in that playoff hunt. You know, they, it was only two seasons ago they were 11-5. and five. Of course, the year before they were 6-10, and 10, and the year before that they were in the Super Bowl. So it's definitely been back and forth, back and forth. Hopefully they can start to build some consistency. But, Matt, what's the biggest thing that sticks out to Carolina for you heading into this season? I mean, not to, to keep ringing the, the quarterback bell here, but yeah. Cam Newton's health is, is clearly the biggest uh, X factor for this team. I mean, behind them, Kyle Allen and... Will the Thrill Greer uh, at that quarterback <laughs> position not exactly inspiring uh, a lot of excitement if Cam Newton is to go down, is to have more uh, shoulder issues. It seems like he's still dealing with pain. Um, so obviously him introducing a new throwing motion uh, supposed to help ease the pressure off of that shoulder a little bit, help make it more fluid for him, uh, less painful uh, as the season goes on. But I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to stay on the field all 16 games. He's had injury issues uh, throughout his career. Obviously, he was able to put it all together in that 2015 season. And not to say he's not capable of doing that again, but I'm just not certain that he's going to be on the field for all 16 games. Yeah, it's certainly you got to make sure that he's healthy. I know there were concerns that he. There, I remember hearing at the end of last regular season that he might miss the entire year. So things could have definitely been a lot worse than it seems like they are. Uh, I'm going to look away from Cam Newton, but I'm going to look at all of his weapons and, and kind of the fact that you know outside of Greg Olson, this is a very young. Uh, roster at the skills position. Of course, they move on from a guy like Devin Funches, who is now in Indianapolis with the Colts. Uh, they lost Dimir Bird at wide receiver, but he didn't really have that big of an impact on uh, Carolina's offense. But now you go in, you start off, and your your top two receivers are uh, are Curtis Samuel and David Moore, uh, who are both, I got, they're at least in their second or third seasons or even less than that. So very young there. Of course, as I was saying, Greg Olson, you know the oldest, the old familiar face for Cam Newton definitely going to provide a security blanket. But then the young Christian McCaffrey uh, behind him uh, at running back, um, 
I think it's just going to be interesting to see how Carolina adjusts to kind of a new look on offense. It went heavy uh, emphasis on Christian McCaffrey. It'll be interesting to see how defenses react to that heading into this season because that wasn't always the game plan in McCaffrey's rookie season. Um, so now, you know, how what are we going to see out of him? What are we going to see out of these young receivers now that they have more of an opportunity? And how efficient is the offense going to be? I recently wrote a piece looking at the, the Carolina Panthers um, and it, it more so was looking at Devin Funches and, and why he didn't work out in Carolina. And they were among uh, the bottom teams uh, in the league since 2015 in terms of passing efficiency. They had finishes like 31, 26, 25. I believe their best finish might have been around the 11-10 range. Um, but, you know, efficiency is, is, is key in the NFL this, uh, you know, in this generation, you know, making sure that players are in the best positions to succeed dependent on the scheme. Uh, how is this offensive scheme led by North Turner, uh, going to be able to, uh, make a strong impact on these young skill players? Yeah. Um, we keep going offense here and that kind of shows what the capabilities of the offense here in, in Carolina can be if they really, really do put it all together. This is a mm-hmm. very dangerous team, certainly, and I think that starts and ends with Christian McCaffrey, uh, who will be on 1,000-1,000 watch this year uh, after finishing with 1,098 rushing yards and 867 receiving yards. He could be the first player in NFL history to ever finish with 1,000 yards in both. I think the two players that people were talking about doing this, uh, entering this season, have been McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara over in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think Kamara is going to get enough carries. Uh, certainly, he's going to have Latavius Murray cutting into that. Um, I don't think that the Saints necessarily want him run into the ground. They want to preserve his long-term health. Um, so I don't see them giving the kind of bell cow type carries that the Carolina Panthers do give to McCaffrey, uh, who has just been on the field for uh, one of the highest rates in the NFL in terms of on the field for plays. Field Yates put it out earlier today. It was over 96%. Uh, McCaffrey was on the field for the percentage of Carolina snaps, snaps last year, which is just insane. Uh, but, you know, he's only 23 years old. He's certainly got the energy to do it. Um, I just, you know, hope for his sake that he stays healthy. Uh, I think he has a very, very good shot at putting together a 1,000-1,000 season. I think he's one of the most sure bets to perform this year at the running back position, Uh, and I'm all in on what McCaffrey's doing. Yeah, and from a young guy, I'm going to switch to some aging concerns for me, and that is over on the defensive side. Uh, That front seven is getting up there uh, in age, certainly. Of course, uh, they lost... Uh, Julius Peppers last season when he decided to retire. Thomas Davis, an older piece, also moved his way over to the Chargers. But that doesn't change the fact that they've still got some old pieces here. Now, Luke Keekley is still only 28. He's dealt with injuries before and concussion problems. Uh, but then you look at the defensive line. Outside of rookie Brian Burns, who I think is set up to have a really good season alongside these vets, you've got Gerald McCoy, that's 31, Kawan Short, that's 30, and then Mario Addison, 31, uh, making sure that they've got the depth behind them on the bench to make sure that they are in good shape as we get towards, you know, a rough stretch of the season that I'll talk about in my next talking point. Um, making sure that they are as well rested as they can be to try and, and, and make this a winning season for Carolina. That's going to be huge. Of course, they've also got Eric Reed back there at safety, uh, who, let me see, just to confirm how old he actually is. He's just 27, actually. I guess I, I've thought he's been around for longer, but uh, depth in the front seven uh, to alleviate some of maybe the wear and tear that these older players on the defensive line are going to face this season. Okay, I've got three names for you right here. Let's hear it. Mike Evans, mm-hmm. Mike Thomas, uh-huh. Julio Jones. Those are the three number one receivers <laughs> hey. 
that they he this team will have to play oh, six total times this that year. Sucks. They need a top cornerback to handle those guys, and I really don't know if I see anybody on this roster who stands out to me uh, as somebody who can do it. They've got James Bradbury uh, and the man Dante Jackson, uh, former second-round pick from last year, coming into his second season uh, in the NFL. He only had four, he had four interceptions last year and nine passes defended. Bradbury had one interception, 15 passes defended, so certainly uh, strong seasons from them, but they're both very young. Bradbury entering his age 26 season. Of course, Jackson entering his second year, only 24. I don't know if they are necessarily that secondary. Eric Reed uh, being over at Strong Safety, I don't know if that's necessarily the caliber of secondary you need to have in order to stay competitive uh, with these guys. I could easily see um, the Bucks stealing a game, maybe even two from the Panthers, uh, just off there. Uh, if Jameis can take that step forward, certainly think that they could be a threat. Uh, the Falcons and that high power offense, I oh, yeah. certainly think they could sweep the Panthers. The Saints, you know, that's a given. I think they could sweep the Panthers as well. Um, you know, I just don't have a lot of faith in the secondary to keep up uh, with the high octane offenses that it's around. Yeah, certainly. That's going to be some tough offenses to face. You've also got some very smart offensive systems in place, let alone just receiver talent. Um, I'm going to take a look at the schedule, and I was talking about the depth up front. They have a brutal finish to the end of their season. Uh, from weeks 10 to 17, they have to play at Green Bay, at home against Atlanta, at New Orleans. Uh, then they get a game against Washington. But then they finish out their final four games at Atlanta, at home against the Seahawks, at Indianapolis, and at home against the Saints. Uh, dependent on how they're able to do in these earlier games in the season, if they can steal a win from the likes of San Francisco, Jacksonville, Houston, they might be in in okay shape to finish out that season, but if things go wrong and maybe they slip up against those opponents, they have to start their season with the Rams. They play, you know, the three other teams in the AFC South. They play the 49ers, um, and of course they play the Bucks twice in those first six weeks too. That start is going to be very important for how they can finish out and maybe carry some momentum, but that is murderer's row from week 10 to week 17 with your easiest game uh, being the Redskins. But aside from that, I mean, that's, that's a tough uh, way to finish out your season if you're Carolina. Yeah, and in Carolina last year, obviously got off to that hot start uh, before really collapsing down the mm-hmm. stretch. What were they seven and two uh, to start the year? I want to say. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. So they were six and two uh, six to and start two. the season yeah. before losing each of their next seven games uh, before finally getting a win against the Saints backups in Week 17. Uh, I think that they go six and ten this year. That's a one loss drop that also ties them with the Bucks for the bottom uh, of the NFC South. I just don't think that Cam Newton's going to stay healthy. I don't have faith in that secondary. Um, I, I like McCaffrey. I actually really like Curtis Samuel a lot. I think that he's going to take a step forward. I don't know about DJ Moore, however. Uh, he did just kind of didn't show as many flashes as I kind of hoped he would uh, in his first season. I, I just don't have a whole lot of faith in this roster, and I think it's there are, certainly is a path for them to be playoff contenders uh, in a lot of different ways, but it's very fragile and a lot of things need to go right. And I just think that it's a lot more probable that these things go wrong than, you know, the stars align and they make the postseason. Yeah, you know, it makes it makes boring commentary to always agree with the person you're talking with, but I completely <laughs> agree. I, I had them going 6-10 and ten too, uh, finishing, you know, at the bottom with Tampa Bay. I, I do give them kind of the advantage. I put them at third just in, in you know, that divisional tiebreaker. I think, you know, if they're able to win the series against the Bucks, but uh, it, some way or not, it works out to where they place above them. But yeah, you know, 
I, I do have my concerns about offensive efficiency and how teams are going to game plan against the Panthers when they know Cam Newton isn't at 100%, might have some problems with his throwing motion, and that their their biggest star is a running back that, you know, if they can just stack the box um, and maybe just take advantage of their, you know, the, the Panthers secondary, I think teams should find some, some pretty easy success against Carolina. But, yeah, 6-10 and 10 for both of us, uh, missing the playoffs uh, yet again for them. Um, so now we're going to transition to uh, the second place team last season in the NFC South, and that was the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they finished at seven and nine, just ahead of, Pan- of the Carolina Panthers in that tiebreaker. And uh, man, very different season for Atlanta last year. Of course, uh, definitely one of the more talented rosters, but injuries just killed them last year. You lose Devonta Freeman, all of their key pieces on defense. They lose some offensive line pieces. Fortunately enough, the receivers stayed healthy, I guess, for the majority of the season, and Matt Ryan was healthy as well, so there's one way to look at it. Um, Matt, what sticks out to you about Atlanta to start things off? Dion motherfucking Jones, man. <laughs> he, he Is that is, a new nickname? I think it needs Dion to be. Dion motherfucking Jones, I like I, it. I tell you what, I, I don't think there's a single defensive player uh, in the NFC South that uh, from a Saints supporter perspective, uh, scares me uh, more than Deion Jones does. I mean, he plays basically every position. He's just a flex defender, listed as an outside linebacker, can drop that back in coverage, can rush the quarterback. Uh, Ten tackles for a loss in 2017. The fact that he was an all-pro was a downright crime. Uh, and he obviously misses uh, ten games last year. Really just knocked the, the, the air out of that. Atlanta defense and kind of derailed their season a little bit to the point where uh, they didn't really stand a chance uh, of making the playoffs uh, by the end of the year because of just how many holes were in that defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that when he, with him back to healthy, this defense just has a completely different look, and you know that just puts the rest of the NFC South on notice. Yeah, I'm going to switch things over to the offensive line. And, you know, for one of the glaring problems uh, with Atlanta, you know, you take a look at how the way things finished last year and, oh, we, you know, we weren't great defensively, but then you take into account we're getting all of those guys back. Uh, Some guys that they weren't getting back uh, is exactly where they went and addressed their needs in the draft. And they went with two first-round picks. Uh, Of course, at first with pick 14, they took Chris Lindstrom, guard out of Boston College. People consider him to be the top guard in this draft class, if not in that top two, three range. I know there were a couple other names shifted in there. Uh, Then they trade back up into pick 31 in the first round to get Caleb McGarry. A little bit of a reach. Uh, I I believe, I don't think he would have necessarily needed to be a first-round selection. I think he might have been available for them in the second round. Uh, But they do put them out there, and they're both slated to start this season. Um, You know, Lindstrom at right guard, McGarry at right tackle. Uh, of course, they've got Alex Mack at center, uh, one of the top centers in this league, and they filled out the rest of their offensive line to the left side. So I think just a reconstruction of the offensive line, uh, you know, replacing some guards. You know, they lost Angie, Andy Levitre, who retired. Ben Garland went to San Francisco. Um, they went in. They plugged those holes at the right side of the offensive line, and I think that's going to be a huge move for just their run game and definitely pass protection uh, for next season. My guy on offense is the running back, another guy who was hurt last year, Devonta mm-hmm. Freeman, uh, who only played two games uh, before missing the rest of the year. He obviously signs a massive contract just a couple of years ago uh, to be that lead guy uh, in Atlanta, which is quickly proving to be uh, a mistake uh, as teams are showing that they don't want to pay running backs the kind of money that Freeman was given. Um, certainly Freeman, who 
you know, has had some, some good years, two back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, rushed mm-hmm. for 10-plus touchdowns, adds a, a good element in the passing game. Not to, to take anything away from him, but, you know, I wouldn't have ever called him a top-five running back necessarily. Definitely top-10, uh, maybe fringe top-five, but I wouldn't have said that he was at any point in his career a top-five running back. Um, you know, he needs to play at that level or something near it uh, for him to justify that contract. You, you know, we talked about Harper uh, you know, and him not justifying that. I, I think he needs to step up even more so just because of how much money that the Falcons put into the running back position. You need to play extremely well to justify that kind of money uh, just because that money usually can be distributed more efficiently elsewhere uh, in ways that can help the team uh, in a variety of ways, whereas the running back position with it being so devalued uh, in the past-happy NFL, and the, the Falcons are, are no ex- exception to that, obviously, with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Um, but we're, we're expecting him to be back uh, for a full 16 games this year, and uh, he's going to be a huge factor for them uh, on the offensive side, uh, mm-hmm. especially given the amount of money he's being paid. Yeah, I'm certainly big. I'm buying into the Devonta Freeman hype, and I think Ito Smith uh, will do enough in that second role to pr- replace the loss of Tevin Coleman for sure. Uh, I'm going to go look at the defense, and for some reason, I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I think that this is going to be one of the better defensive units in football next season, and, and Dan Quinn is going to love uh, calling plays again for this defense. Uh, he's essentially their defensive coordinator, uh, finally taking the handles back on this. He's going to make it right, and it's going to be done his way. Uh, but you take a look you know, on the defensive line. Um, Tack McKinley on the outside. Um, you know, Maybe you put uh, Adrian Claiborne in at the other end position too which would then slide uh, Vic Beasley inside a little bit. Maybe he goes inside with Grady Jarrett. Of course, you were talking about Deion Jones, who is a stud. I love, love, love their safety duo of Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen. Desmond Trufant is definitely a lockdown corner in this league. And Isaiah Oliver is going to get an opportunity in his second season to start opposite of him, uh, a very young talent there too. I think that the way Dan Quinn can coach up a defense, and I think that the, just the names that are on there, um, and hopefully the depth there is behind it, I think that this could finish off the season as a top five or six defense in the NFL. Another player uh, who really surprised, I wouldn't say surprised people, but a lot of people were down on uh, entering the season uh, for some odd reason, Calvin Ridley. Um, despite being a first-round pick, I feel I felt like I was hearing a lot of negative things. That's why he slipped as low as he did to Atlanta in that first round. Uh, some uh, teams were skeptical about his skill set. He finishes 92 targets, 64 receptions. That's a 69.6% catch uh, percentage, 821 yards, 10 touchdowns. I mean, a, a fantastic rookie season. He's obviously on the older side for rookies. He was 24, going to be 25 this year. Uh, you know, he's got the body to, to slide in as that number two guy. We've seen number two wide receivers in this system do well. You know, Roddy White comes to mind behind Julio, as, oh, yeah. you know, with Matt Ryan at the at the quarterback position where he's able to distribute the ball. This doesn't have to be a one-trick pony type situation. And Mohamed Sanu hasn't necessarily been the guy that uh, he was brought in to be, and I think Calvin Ridley can fill that void. He's just such an exciting player, uh, really stretches the field. I mean, he had a couple of games last season where he just – went off. Uh, I believe he had one one three-touchdown game um, that was pretty incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. I scooped him up in fantasy. That was a, a fun uh, <laughs> week for me. I remember starting him and being pretty ecstatic about it. But uh, I, I have high expectations for Ridley this year. I think that he, being in this system, he's just been put in such a good position uh, to succeed that really, you know, the floor is his. Uh, and if he, he's got that opportunity, all he has to do is run away with it. 
Yeah, and as as much as I was talking about how bad I hated uh, how Carolina finishes out their season, I'm not too skeptical about the Falcons' season towards the end. Uh, you know, aside from playing the Saints in both of their you know uh, week ten and week thirteen matchups, they get both their games against uh, the Buccaneers, both their games against the Cardinals. Isn't that weird? All six of their divisional games, I'm just realizing this as I say it, are in the final uh, eight weeks of the regular season. So that's that's going to be interesting Please. because because that's uh, that's definitely a stacked way to put it uh, for your divisional opponents to always play a little bit tougher. But then you've also got games against the 49ers and the Jags. I'm not too skeptical about they finish off the season. Um, they do have to play in, in the first uh, three weeks, Minnesota, Philadelphia, and Indy. They, of course, also have games against the Rams and the Seahawks at a certain point. But um, nothing too scary in my eyes for the Falcons' schedule heading into this year. And if they're able to get through those first ten weeks uh, and have a, you know, a manageable record. I think they could really make a good push towards the end of the season against some of their lesser opponents. Absolutely. And as far as their record goes, I'm going with 11 and five hey. uh, this year for the Falcons. I definitely think they take that step forward. Um, getting a, they just were so hurt last year on both sides of the ball. Uh, and, and, you know, that offensive line, it was uh, a big issue. They refill it with two first-round picks uh, to help out with that depth. They get Deion Jones back. They get Devonta Freeman back. Calvin Ridley's going to be in his second year. There's just a lot to like about this roster. Uh, just They're in a tough division. I don't know if they're going to be able to, to break that 13-14 win threshold. Uh, but I see 11-5 and in the Falcons making the playoffs. Hey, I'm sipping the Kool-Aid as well on Atlanta. I mean, you, you think about all the guys that they're getting back. Um, as long as injuries, uh, you know, stay away from them again, and and it's it's really random to find when if injuries pile up like that consistently after seasons, unless you're the the Redskins as well and have the worst training staff in the NFL. But I don't want to rub that into all the Redskins fans out there. Um, but Atlanta, I I actually I've got them going twelve and four, and uh, I am going to say it just to. Uh, you know, I, I just think that this is a very talented team, and I think a team that we could see deep into the postseason uh, potentially making a push for the NFC Championship. All right. Well, that gives us one last team here, um, the best team in the NFC South, no doubt, uh, to anyone, um, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, that's obviously my team. Uh, might be a little bit biased here, but uh, a lot of maybe. people, you know, maybe, maybe just a little bit. Um, you know, that, this is my thing. Baseball is, is obviously my, my main sport, right? And mm. a lot of people look at me as a Nats fan, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, root for the team. But I look at myself as being able to be very objective uh, when it comes to Major League Baseball just because I have a better uh, scope of the league oh, yeah. uh, and who's good, who, where, and everything. So I can look at the Nats and say they suck, you know, when they do <laughs> suck. Uh, or they don't have a chance at beating the Dodgers uh, in a five-game series, um, which is true uh, at this point of the season. Regardless, when, it, when I'm talking about the NFL, the Saints, my, my fandom, it drips a little bit into my uh, analysis a little bit, I will admit. But uh, a lot of people are talking about Drew Brees and his regression last year. Uh, and, you know, obviously the second half of last season was a little bit concerning uh, in how he performed. He obviously fell off. But we, we were looking at a guy who was on MVP pace prior to that. I mean, to say that, oh, he's lost mm -hmm. it altogether because of uh, a midseason slump 
uh, when he was playing as good a football as he ever has prior to that stretch, I just don't see how we can say that he's done. I mean, obviously he's entering his age 40 season, he's getting up there in age, but Tom Brady has shown that you can still perform well into your 40s. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be throwing for 5,000 yards, um, but he set the NFL record for completion percentage. I mean, that, there's something to that. A 115.7 uh, passer rating led the NFL. I mean, you know, these are, are, are fantastic numbers uh, that he put together. Would have had 4,000 yards if he had played that 16th game. They rested him uh, ahead of the playoffs, so he finished with 3,992 on the year, um, which sucks because that does end his streak. He had gone every year since 2006 with at least 4,000 yards, uh, which was the longest active streak in the NFL, mind you. With Michael Thomas, with Alvin Kamara around him, Jared Cook being added into the offense, Latavius Murray being a change of pace back, there are just so many weapons. This offensive line is built very deep. Eric McCoy, the, the, the young guy they bring in uh, from the Texas school that I can't remember. Was it AM? I can't remember. Um, they bring him in because uh, they lose Max Unger to retirement. That offensive line is deep in so many ways. Tron Armstead, one of the best left tackles in football. I just see Breeze being on a platform to succeed regardless of how old he is. Uh, and I think he's going to have uh, a fantastic season. I wouldn't say that he's in the MVP conversation necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's just kind of somewhere in the middle of, of what we saw last year, that, that fantastic stretch uh, and that poor stretch to close the year. I think you know what we're looking at is somewhere you know between those two extremes. Yeah, for me, the biggest thing with this Saints offense is efficiency. I think they're they're easily up there with New England, um, and what we saw last year with how efficient Indianapolis's offense was too in overall efficiency. The run bat, uh, run pass balance, making sure that you're utilizing your tight ends and running backs in the receiving game. Of course, Kamara is extremely talented in his dual threat ability. Um, the one thing that sticks out to me is I, I really wish that Mark Ingram was still in New Orleans, and that is no knock on Latavius Murray at all. But I, I think. With the change of pace uh, back, I think you've got you know Mark Ingram who can just be the, your bulldozer type guy, and, and uh, you know Latavius Murray is a talented running back as well. But you know Mark Ingram, I thought was a very good complement to Alvin Kamara. Um, you know I'm not sure how much he got paid by the Ravens and if New Orleans would have even considered uh, nope. matching it. They signed Latavius Murray before Ingram signed. Oh so wow! They, so they, they really they... weren't even bringing him back. Yep. Gotcha. Well, so, you know, I think Mark Ingram would have been a, a really nice guy to keep around. Of course, it didn't seem like the Saints agreed with me, uh, but I do think that this offense just screams efficiency. Like you were saying, the offensive line is uh, is very well intact, uh, seeing how well uh, their center, uh, the Unger replacement uh, fares. You also lost John Kuhn. Uh, we love fullbacks in the NFL. Um, and Benjamin Watson, yeah, yeah, and then Benjamin <laughs> Watson in New England now. Not too many uh, big losses, of course. Tommy Lee Lewis. It, when Des Bryant gets healthy, what's what's his situation? Is are the Saints going to like try and bring him back again? What what what's that whole deal? I mean, you know, we haven't really heard a whole lot on that front. Yeah. It's going to be until midseason, probably when he's you know at uh, a level where he can try out for teams. I wouldn't put it past the Saints. I mean, he was supporting the team uh, through social media after the injury. Uh, obviously, only lasted a week, uh, Not didn't even play in a game with them. So mm-hmm. hard to say you know, what exactly the chemistry is there with 
uh, the team. But you know, the, the Saints locker room is is known across the league as one of the most fun and uh, just easygoing locker rooms there are. Uh, they they gel really well together, and a lot of that is is the young guys. And you know, to your point about Ingram, you know, obviously the Saints would have liked to bring him back. He's a fantastic complement to Kamara. Their their skill sets are really you know like crash and burn. Uh, was a was a popular nickname thrown around for the two of them. Um, I, the, the thing is, though, is the Saints have had such good drafts in the past couple of years that Ingram's just a casualty of not enough cap space uh, down yeah. the line. You know, they're going to need to extend Kamara. I mean, we saw with Matt, uh, Mike Thomas going uh, to a, a holdout uh, during training camp in order to get become the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. I mean, we're going to be seeing probably the same thing next year with Kamara uh, in terms of him being able to have his deal uh, restructured and extended. Uh, Ryan Ramchek, uh, he's two years away. He's one of their top uh, linemen. You have Marshawn Lattimore, another top 10 pick uh, who at the cornerback position, he's been uh, fantastic. You know, obviously one defensive rookie of the year back in 2017 and that's my uh point here is Lattimore and his progression you know he kind of took a step back last year uh played in all 16 games which he did have a uh, deal with some injuries uh limited to 13 games in 2017 but yet had fewer interceptions fewer passes defended uh was able to produce a few more uh turnovers in terms of forced fumbles he did force four last year um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're looking for him to be a true ball hawk uh, in New Orleans, and he just kind of really wasn't that uh, last year. Struggled against some of the top guys uh, in ways that we really didn't see that first year. So he's, you know, sophomore slump is expected out of a lot of players, but in this third year, he's going to have kind of a prove-it season to mm-hmm. establish really what kind of pedigree corner is he. Is he considered a true number one, or are the Saints, which... You know, to the Saints' credit, they do have uh, a pretty deep uh, cornerback position. After it being a problem last year, um, you know, on the opposite side, you do have Eli Apple, um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, their fourth-round pick, who's gotten a lot of love during camp. Um, Ken Crawley, um, you know, it's it's a pretty good group up and down. Um, I, I'm I'm okay with with the depth that they have at the position. Patrick Robinson, another guy uh, who they signed to a decently sized deal, um, he was hurt last year, missed almost the entire season. So you know, with this whole group healthy, I think that the uh, there's a lot to like about the secondary, but that hinges on Lattimore really being uh, a true number one corner. Yeah, the defense is where I'm not sipping the Kool Aid. I've said that Kool Aid reference <laughs> is twice that the now. Third, third time twice? is it? Oh my god. I don't know. <laughs> Too much Kool Aid. I'm gonna go get some Kool Aid to make up for it. But uh, all right, Corey Booker. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sipping the Kool Aid on the defense. Um, I, I do believe Marshawn Lattimore is a very talented corner, and th- like you were saying, I agree with you on on this season uh, defensively. It's gonna be huge for him to see which Marshawn Lattimore he's ac- he actually is. Is he a rookie year or this past year? Um, not to say this past year was bad, but it definitely wasn't as great as his rookie season. But outside of him. And the two edge guys, Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport, who I believe Marcus Davenport is going to have a very successful career in New Orleans. Nothing really excites me about the defense. Um, at linebacker, uh, you know, Demario Davis is is uh, 30 now. He's okay. Uh, and, AJ Klein, baby. Dude, yeah, nothing excites me about AJ <laughs> Klein. Or the even Golden Thorlocks. <laughs> An- An- Anzalone, nothing excites me. Oh, about yeah, wait, him. I was thinking of Anzalone. It's my fault. AJ Klein, A- yeah. he is nice. Yeah, too, right? I was going to say AJ Klein is definitely not. And, and Anzalone, I'm not too hype on. Eli Apple, he's okay. Uh, Patrick Robinson, the definition of just hurt. Like, he's just dealt with injuries. I, he, back when he was a Colt and an Eagle, he dealt with injuries. Um, safety, 
Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, is usually in the safety. I don't know if they had switched him to corner, but from what I had, he was a safety. Hopefully he could sneak in there as a starter because there was talks about him being a, a top 60 uh, draft pick this past year, and sneaking to the fourth round for the Saints is huge. Um, you know, it, it's great to have an efficient offense and a high-scoring offense. Uh, it makes it a little bit easier to have an just okay defense, but nothing really pops off the page as exciting to me defensively for uh, the Saints. Well, uh, you know, you brushed over Marcus Davenport. You said you did like what he oh, brought I love to the him. table. But, you know, he really didn't have necessarily a great year last year. 13 no. games, did deal with some injuries. Uh, four and a half sacks, uh, one forced fumble on the year. He's really going to need to step up because Sheldon Rankins, uh, who was having a fantastic season, tore his Achilles. Uh, was it in the playoffs? I believe it was in the playoffs or uh, right at the end of the year, one of the two. Uh, but Davenport is really going to be the guy um, outside of – did you mention Cameron Jordan? Tell me you mentioned Cameron Jordan. No, yeah. I said him, Davenport, and Lattimore are the three guys okay. that like – Cameron Jordan, interest uh, who, who got an extension this offseason, um, he really ha- has been so underrated at the defensive end position. But Davenport's going to be playing off on the other side of him. So he'll get less attention, which means he really needs to step up uh, and be that true number two pass rusher uh, for the Saints defense. And, you know, they they took a big risk uh, drafting him. They traded up. They traded their first-round mm-hmm. pick in 2019 to move up and get him at yeah. 14th overall last year uh, from the Packers, which at the time, you know, he was coming out of Texas San Antonio, not necessarily a huge college program, was considered a bit of a raw prospect, but at 6'6", oh, 265, I mean, he's he's got the, the the size, he's got the potential. It's just kind of about putting it together. But the Saints brass seem to be uh, pretty bullish on him entering mm-hmm. the season. So uh, there's a lot of high expectations for him. It's just going to matter of time uh, see if he can really step into those shoes. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer in Davenport. I actually I think he might have been my number two graded edge rusher in that 2018 draft class. Certainly a guy that I think has freak of nature potential. Um, he dealt with the ankle injury, which kind of limited also his ability when he was playing. Uh, but this should be a big season for him as well. Um, Matt, do you want to give your record first? Where Where are you going with these guys? All right, all right. <sighs> 13 and 3. I wanted to go 14 and 2 on the year. Um, some people are talking about the Saints as a prime regression team. Um, but I, I look at the other teams around them, the Rams and the, and the Bears, uh, as the, the three top teams uh, from the NFC this past year. I guess you put the, the Cowboys in there too. Um, but I, I really don't. Um, the Eagles are, are coming into their own. Did the Eagles win the division or the Cowboys, Scott? Who, who uh, the Cowboys the won the division. The Cowboys did win it. I, I think the, the Eagles are going to leapfrog them in the East. Oh, spoiler. Spoiler? Um, How dare you? <laughs> um, but uh, I look at the I look at the Saints, and, and you know, there just isn't a whole lot different uh, from last year. Obviously, they lose Ingram. That's, that's certainly, uh, you know, a big loss in the running game. But I like Latavius Murray. I think he was a smart find. Uh, they get him on a team-friendly deal. They lose Max Unger, fill him with Eric McCoy, uh, the second-round pick who a lot of people thought was going to go in the first round. That entire defense is pretty much returning the same guys. I think Sheldon Rankins, who should return around midseason, uh, that'll be a big add. You get guys like Patrick Robinson back, Eli Apple for a full season, who actually he stabilized with uh, New Orleans last year. It's didn't really have a great first half of the season with the Giants. Um, but after he was acquired, uh, aside from his problem with penalties, which is just you know a, a headache in and of itself, um, you know I thought he stabilized. I think this this roster is just a win now team, uh, and they have 
you know, uh, top to bottom, whether it's quarterback, whether it's kicker. Will Lutz, one of the most underrated kickers in the NFL. Thomas Morstead, one of the most underrated punters in the NFL. I mean, from specialist to special teams to defense, offense, there's just a whole lot to like about this team, and I I can't see them losing fewer than 13 games. So I'll go with 13 and winning the NFC South. Yeah, you know, People say they're a, a regression team, and that has been a pretty easy pick for a lot of people. I don't think it's a regression in terms of talent. I just think it's tougher sledding this year around when you've got what should be a, a much more improved offense in Tampa Bay. Of course, that's all uh, contingent on Jameis Winston. But then, of course, in Atlanta and just the team that they're actually going to be able to put out against uh, a team like New Orleans, I think that they would match up great defensive or offensively against the New Orleans defense. So I do have them losing a few more games than last season. I don't think it's it's a talent regression. Maybe, at the very least, Breeze isn't as pristine as he has been in years past. Uh, but I still have the Saints going 10-6. and six. I believe that this is a very talented team. They do have a difficult schedule, um, especially in the first seven weeks. I, I Are you kidding? I, the AFC South? That's, no, that's a cakewalk, man. Dude. The, the Rams, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and the Bears. Those are those are tough games in your first seven weeks. Um, those are those are tough games. And let alone, you know, the fact that I left out all the AFC South teams. I think Jacksonville brings out a really good defense. I don't think Houston or Tennessee is all that great, but this is this is more spoilers for next week's episode, actually. But I think that's a very tough stretch to start. And I think just be the the, the division is a little bit more difficult and, and I do believe that Atlanta just does jump them. So I have the Saints going ten and six, still making the postseason. I think they're a playoff team. I think they're a very talented team and I think their experience plays a huge role in how far they could go in the playoffs. But in terms of regular season, I think they're they're fine going ten and six and making their way to the postseason. Yeah, uh, you know, as long as you got them in the playoffs, I don't have a bone to pick with you, Blake. But yeah, that that you said they were finishing second behind the Falcons. Yeah, that's your, your I do pick. Um, yeah, yeah, that's where we differ. I, I'm I'm big on the Falcons making a push towards a Super Bowl berth. Um, of course, when we get done with our division previews towards the uh, regular season, we're actually going to make our playoff picks. But I think Atlanta is just prime for to be one of those teams that just. I mean, really, the only thing that that was holding them back was the injuries last year because they, they have such a good roster, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I'm, you know, Sean Payton's one of the most innovative coaches in the NFL, Definitely. and I think that, you know, he's going to be able to weather whatever storm comes uh, with this hey. offense between him and Pete Carmichael. So, yeah, 10 and 6 know. is not a bad finish by any No, it's means. not, but yeah. obviously the Saints, you know, have set up uh, over the past couple years a, a high standard of excellence. Uh, and I, I think that this team uh, is as good as either of those teams I mean, uh, yeah. entering the season. Um, they, you know, they have all these draft classes they've been able to put together that have been absolutely fantastic, and th- these guys are still getting better. Uh, so you know what, uh, I'm I'm sticking with this 13 and three pick, and I'm not even worried about it. Uh, certainly, mm-hmm. it's going to be some fun uh, games this year, but uh, you know, I think that the Bears are taking a big step back. I think the Rams are taking a step back a bit. Um, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to see out of Jared Goff this year. I, I think that there's some winnable games in that stretch that you're talking about uh, yeah. where the Saints should be favored. Um, certainly, you know, the Saints probably drop a game or two that they shouldn't um, at some point throughout the year. But, you know, we saw them go off last year, and I think that they're going to carry that into this year. And, you know, uh, as the, thank God, Blake, thank God you did not mention um, the play 
uh, that cost them the, the oh, uh, NFC I mentioned championship. It. You mentioned that they should have been in the, the Super Bowl, oh, okay. but I'm, I'm talking about as a reason a for hangover. why they won't be good. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, the Minneapolis Miracle was the year before. Yeah. Uh, just heartbreaking ways to lose right. uh, in the playoffs back-to-back years. It's been absolutely terrible uh, for me as a Saints fan. The first one I watched by myself, um, that game, um, I had nobody watch that game with, and I watched it in my room, and uh, I actually was watching it on a stream that froze at the beginning of that play and then picked up right oh. when Stefan Diggs came down with the ball, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's uh, wild. So that was a heartbreaker, and then, of course, I lose a bet uh, in that Rams-Saints game uh, where I have the IHOP challenge and <laughs> yeah. trying to eat 20 You did so bad. I'm so mad lose. about that. Yeah, well, oh, okay, I'm so, so got to add some, some context here. The IHOP challenge is you have to sit in an IHOP for 24 hours, but you can shave an hour off for every pancake you eat. I only got through nine pancakes in five hours. Uh, that Those things are thick, man. I thought, I, you know. I know. I thought it was going to be easy money. <laughs> you were so lie. confident. I was really confident. And uh, Tom, our buddy Tom, who we always talk about. On Friend of the podcast. Show. Friend, Friend of, the, of the podcast. Tom Robertson. Um, we had a bet. Uh, I lost that bet, so we made an agreement that uh, he gets two slaps on me, um, or was it three? I don't even remember. I think it's, I think it's two. Is it two? He's, he's yeah. used one. Uh, he slapped me in the face pretty hard. So, Oh, he uh, used one, one already? More. Yeah, he did use one already. Oh, I um, missed it. That's it was on his birthday, so I, I, couldn't, oh, that's good. I couldn't tell him no. You know? How was it? Could, How did it feel? Uh, you know, I had a few drinks in me, so it wasn't, it was a, it wasn't too bad, uh, gotcha. but... You know, that man can swing, you know, yeah. so. He's got a lot of uh, anger built up in it. He does, Tom. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for the Saints this year. I don't think that they're going to have any kind of hangover from that yeah. rough. Um, if anything, the Saints are screaming that they got justice after the rule change for, <laughs> um, you know, now being guess, able yeah. to review defensive pass interference, which I'm actually excited for. I think they've been enforcing yeah. it well so far uh, in the in the. Uh, uh, preseason. That's something I've been watching. I've been tweeting about it a couple times when, when we've been seeing it. And, you know, I think that they've enforced it well so far, and they have had some plays where it's kind of on the fence as to what they could go for. But I think they've been very consistent with it. So as long as they keep that up, I'm happy. Yeah. I, I, listen, like I said, I don't think it's a, it's a regression or a hangover. I just think that the, the, the way their schedule plays out and the fact that I think, it, you know, Atlanta is seriously going to be – uh, one of the best teams in football this next year. I do think it's going to be a little more difficult. But, yeah, I, I, I couldn't put them out of the postseason. I didn't even consider it. Um, I thought about maybe an 11-5, and five, but when I put the Falcons up to 12-4, and four, I just thought it was too difficult to have that those two teams win that many games uh, in a division where the other two teams aren't bottoming out at three or four wins. So that was where I ended up going. Just to recap my standings, and we, we agreed for the first two. Um, I ended up having Tampa Bay and Carolina both finishing at 6-10. and 10. I gave Carolina the, the edge in terms of tiebreaker just because I think it, it'd be more funny for the Buccaneers to finish fourth again. Um, <laughs> I had the Saints uh, finishing at 10-6 and six and making a wild card spot. Uh, to be determined if that is the first or second wild card spot. We'll see where I've got these other divisions. I'll have to go back and check to see what I've put down. Uh, but then I have the Falcons winning the division at 12-4. and four. I think they are going to be one of the big surprises coming into this season. Matt, what did you have things shape out as? Yeah, six and ten, six and ten for the Bucks and for the Panthers. I really didn't uh, go either way with the tiebreaker, but you know what? I'll say the Bucks get it. Just to there disagree you go. with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bucks going in at six and ten, uh, number three uh, in the division. At number two, I'm having the Falcons at eleven and five. 
getting one of the wild card spots and the Saints taking the division once again, 13 and three, uh, one of the top two seeds uh, in the NFC. All right, well, there you have it. I'm loving it, man. We're getting close to football season. Uh, some more preseason games coming through this weekend. Uh, so that'll wrap it up for our episode. I think, Matt, I don't even think we talked about it. This is episode 20. Uh, so we've, oh, hit, wow. we've hit 20 episodes here of Reasonably Outrageous. Um, and so, you know, uh, thank you guys all for listening along and checking out this episode. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday coming out with the AFC South. I know we got to talk about Matt Saints, but now it's time to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, of course, some exciting seasons coming forward for the Titans, Texans, and Jaguars as well. So make sure to check that out. Make sure to uh, leave a five-star review on, on iTunes for us. Leave a comment. Subscribe to, to the channel. Yeah, I, I always forget to also when I'm closing these things out, but I don't know why I just remembered. Oh, the rule is, we're stealing this from, uh, pardon my take, uh, subscribe, unsubscribe, and then resubscribe. So it, I think nice. it does something with our analytics. Booster uh, rankings. Yeah, yeah I, iTunes hasn't figured it out yet. So, yeah, you can bump us up from 400,000 to 399,999 uh, in, the, in the iTunes charts. Uh so thank you guys so much for listening. Oh, God, I forgot the Twitter plug as well. You can find Matt Wyrick on Twitter, at Matt Wyrick FBB, uh, talking some nationals uh, and, and baseball in general. You can find me at Blake Andrew Pace, talking Syracuse, Colts. I uh, might have some new stuff coming in the works that maybe I can talk about next week. We'll see about that. Uh, but, Matt, any last words for our listeners? Um, yeah, I just had a piece go up on Victor Robles being oh, a go. candidate for Gold Glove this year. So if you're interested in who, who might be a Gold Glove winner, he is leading the way in several categories. So that's something to keep an eye on. Also, the Nats, it's the seventh inning, and they're winning 17-5. to five, So just want to put that in there. Uh, Love that. And run fifth inning. So uh, yeah. go Nats. Uh, go Saints. This, is, this has been a fun podcast for me, man. Yeah, we've got, no, to, talk yeah, we've got of, to talk a lot about your interests. <laughs> Um, But yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Peace out.